Growing Texas Olives, the only podcast made specifically for you, the Texas olive grower, and still, still to my knowledge, the only podcast in the world fully dedicated to just talking how to grow olives. Thanks for being here today. I am your host, Stephen Yonock, horticulture program specialist for Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. How about that intro music? Golly, that's still the best part of this show. Uh, credit and, and props and, and big thank you to my friend Jay Schmidt for that intro music. Well, it's a beautiful day here today. and It really was. We had some rain. Whew, can't believe it. I had rain finally today. Uh, well, we've been getting rain off and on for, gosh, I don't know, a week, 10 days or something. Uh, at least in my part of the state, we've been fortunate to get some rains uh, like every other day. Not Not a whole lot always. And if you look at the rainfall maps uh, across the state for the past couple of weeks, it's, it's you know, a lot of folks have gotten rain. A lot of folks have gotten enough rain to kind of bring them out of the severe drought. Uh, but it's also a story of the haves and the have-nots. You know, there's some folks that have just missed out and they've gotten, you know, less than a half an inch. Um, so I feel bad for those guys. But by and large, most folks have gotten good rain. And I can't believe it. I keep looking at the 10-day forecast and there's still – at least, again, for, for my half of the state, my part of the world at least, uh, still very high chances for rainfall uh, coming up. So, terrific. Uh, a nice nice break for the from the hot and dry weather pattern we've had so far. Uh, good to have some rain. I, I don't, don't quote me on this, and I've said this before, but the long-range models show that this is not the end of the drought. This is a nice brief hiatus, uh, but we should probably expect more lack of rainfall this year. Uh, from what I'm seeing, maybe not until January, February, do we kind of return to some, some good moisture and kind of maybe a semi-normal weather pattern, but only time will tell. All right, and that just that that's a nice... Uh, segue into today's topic we're going to continue with our discussion on irrigation uh before we get there (laughs) a couple of brief announcements one mark your mark your calendars for september 30th we have finally rescheduled and confirmed uh, the texas olive update and grower seminar again september 30th did i say september 3rd i'm sorry september 30th a Friday, the last Friday of September, uh, almost a month from now. Today's like July 30, uh, August 31st or something like that. So September 30th in Uvalde, Texas at the AgriLife Research and Extension Center, same place we had it scheduled before. We've got the program scheduled again. It'll be really good. Uh, doors open at 8. Program starts at 8.30. I'm going to try to get you out of there by, by 12 or 12.30. Uh, that way that some of you can invite me to lunch afterwards, uh, but it's going to be a good program. Uh, we've got some, some folks, actually some researchers from Uvalde that have completed some, some work on olives, uh, some, some kind of laboratory research work on olives that should be interesting and informative. We'll talk about the history, the experience of the Texas olive industry over the past you know, 25, 30 years, what we've learned from that. Uh, I'll talk about our variety trials. We've been doing olive variety trials across the state for like six or seven years, and we've 
definitely learned some interesting things from those. And I will share all of that synthesized data. So it's going to be great. Uh, Market calendar, September 30th. It's a free program. I'm not charging anybody um, as much as extension would like me to. I'm not going to. Um, and if you can't make it there in person for whatever reason, I am currently planning on offering it online as well. Whew. Um, we're going to try. I'm not a fan of this hybrid stuff. I'm a fan of it. It's, it's difficult to pull off um, by yourself. But um, yeah, so if you can't join us in person, you can join online. Um, everybody that plans to attend, whether in person or online, needs to RSVP. And in fact, if you want to attend online, you have to RSVP because I have to have your email address to send, that, send the online uh, link to you. Uh, if you haven't seen the link to RSVP, then you're either not on my email list or you're not um, you're not on uh, you don't follow the Texas Association of Olive Oil on Facebook, maybe. Um, so that's those are the places I've put it. Uh, I've emailed it to everyone that I know. I've put it on the TXAOO Facebook page. I've put it on some other places on Facebook. Uh, I, I've tried and asked AgriLife to help me kind of publicize it, but uh, haven't gotten anything yet so if you haven't gotten the link um, contact me contact anybody from txaoo um, and yeah uh, get get rcp september 30th the last announcement briefly september 26th and 27th that's the monday and tuesday before the olive program september 26th and 27th in new Braunfels, texas will be the texas fruit conference hosted by us agrilife extension this year, I, I truly believe, is going to be one of the best ones that I've been a part of. Um, got some some neat things, a little bit different that we're doing this year. That one's going to be really good. Anybody interested in any kind of fruit production in Texas, it's kind of tilted and geared a little bit more towards commercial fruit production or prospective commercial growers. Uh, but but homeowners and hobbyists and backyard gardeners are are also welcome, and there's material in there for everybody. Uh, that one will have a fee because there's some meals and stuff um, offered at that program. And just quickly, the best part, to me at least, I mean, I love the knowledge and learning, truly. But the best part of that fruit conference is Monday afternoon, the Taste of Texas Fruit Reception. Just a, I, I mean, it blows me away every time the stuff that they have all either, it's either Texas fruit, fresh fruit, or products made from Texas fruit, Texas grown fruit. Like, like, God, last year, the year before, they had this uh, crock pot of meatballs. And obviously, the meatballs weren't fruit, but they were they were sautéed or, or marinated or, or cooked in whatever, cooked in this sauce that was made from raspberries, raspberries that were grown in Texas. Um, we have pear wine, of course, regular grape wine jams and jellies and cheeses and stuff to go with that um, golly I, I can't even think of some of the other stuff but this the the wide array of fruit and fruit products that are at that taste of texas reception uh, that makes it the whole thing worth it to me so those are the two announcements sign up for both the texas olive program uh, september 30th or the texas fruit conference september 26th and 27th and that one is out on the internet you can look it up all right, golly, seven minutes. Boy, time flies. We're going to talk irrigation. 
Um, and, and today's, we're kind of going to talk, uh, I'm going to slant this towards, and the end, we're going to come to uh, talking about irrigation for newly planted trees and young orchards, uh, because I think we manage them a little bit differently than a mature orchard. All of the stuff that I'm going to talk about is going to apply to people with mature orchards. So this is not one that you should skip just because you don't have young trees or, or newly planted trees. So last time we talked about, you know, irrigation system maintenance, uh, filters, checking pressures, knowing your emitter size. We talked about distribution uniformity, collecting water at emitters to know your gallons per hour and calculating uniformity. We talked about all those things. Now what I want to kind of switch gears to is we want to talk about the soil and the soil water holding capacity. So soil water holding capacity is one thing, but really when we're farmers and we're growing plants, we're growing a crop in that soil, we're more concerned with plant available water in the soil, and there's a difference. So picture your, uh, uh, your pot on the, on, the pa- on the patio or the porch, you got a pot filled with potting soil. It's, it's totally dry when you get it no moisture in that potting soil. You put it in the pot, and it's very light, right? It's, it's not a whole lot of weight to it. And you can pour water in, pour water in, and it absorbs water and absorbs water until at some point it becomes so saturated it can no longer hold any more water, and that water drains out the bottom. And now that pot is suddenly very heavy because that soil is holding the water. You don't see the water physically, but it's in between the particles. It's in those tiny spaces between soil particles. That's where the soil stores the water. And so you take that pot of, of new potting soil and you soak it and soak it and soak it and it's absorbing until it runs out. Once it runs out of the bottom, you're at saturation. And everybody knows that term means the soil can no longer hold any more water. It's saturated. It's the, the pore spaces between soil particles are totally full. Well, you let it day, drain for a day or two. And a pot, a pot will drain quickly. But in a landscape soil situation, you let that saturated soil drain for a day or two. And think about it, it drains by gravity, right? Gravity pulls that water out uh, at saturation. But it can only pull so much because water has this, this property called adhesion. It wants to adhere to other surfaces around it. And so it adheres to soil particles with some, some strength to the point where gravity doesn't just pull all the water out of the soil. If it did, we'd have a really tough time growing stuff. So soil has that wonderful capacity to hold the water. So once all that kind of gravitational water drains out from saturated soil, what we're left with is a moisture content that we often call field capacity. Field capacity. After all the gravitational water drains away, we're left with field capacity moisture. And that is, you can think of field capacity as 100% soil, excuse me, 100% plant available water. Obviously, saturated soils, that water is available to plants too, but, but we don't really think about it so much because plants, uh, plant roots have to have oxygen, uh, not to take up the water, but just for the root cells to respire. Um, respiration process burns oxygen, uses oxygen. So roots have to have oxygen. So we don't typically think about saturated soils as, you know, good growing conditions. So we want to think about field capacity. Well, at field capacity, 
water will no longer drain out through gravity, but we lose water through evaporation of the atmosphere, we lose water through, through plants, through transpiration through the plants. So as the soil continues to get drier, below field capacity, it gets drier and drier and drier and drier. And at some point, the plant starts to wilt, right? You've seen that in your house plants and your tomatoes and stuff. Well, you can put water on it, and the plant perks back up. Well, that there is a point, right? And you've probably seen this just like I have. There is a point where it wilts so far that you can put water on it, and it will not recover, and the plant dies. That point is what we call the permanent wilting point, and that is a soil moisture uh, term. We, we, so, we, so we want, as farmers, you have to, in order to have a living plant, you have to keep soil moisture between the permanent wilting point and field capacity. Below permanent wilting point, realize that there's still liquid water in the soil, still liquid H2O in there, it's just so tightly adhered to those soil particles that no plant root can pull it off. So that is plant unavailable water. So there's still water in the soil, but it's unavailable to plants, and so we're really not concerned with that water at all. It doesn't do anything for us or anything for the plant. So that's plant available water. Obviously, we can't just keep it at 100% all the time because we would be... I mean, I don't know how you do that. You have to run the irrigation all the time. But then if you're running it all the time, even at a really slow rate, then there's some, you know, the surface is going to be saturated and lower down. It just that's not practical, right? So we have to go back and forth. We want to fill the soil to 100% plant available water to that field capacity point and then let it dry down a little bit over time monitor that dry down until it gets to kind of a threshold that we set where we say, okay, that's dry enough. We're close enough to our, our dry point. We're going to refill back to field capacity. And generally plants will start to experience some kind of water stress um, at, at around 40 to 50% plant available water. And I'm not talking about like detrimental stress, like you're going to see the plant starting to wilt, that 40% plant available water. Not necessarily. It's just that the plant kind of has to work for it a little bit. So 50 to 100% plant available water in the soil, it's like you sitting on the couch and your spouse brings you a beer and a piece of pizza. <laughs> That's easy, right? You didn't have to go anywhere. You didn't have to work for it. It was brought to you. That's 50 to 100% plant available water. Easy pickings. Below 50% to about 25% plant available water. That's like, well, your spouse isn't there, but she left dinner or he left dinner in the kitchen, and you got to get up from the couch and go grab the beer out of the fridge and grab a piece of pizza out of the box and go sit down. You had to do something to get it, but it's not a big stress on you, but it's more than just sitting there. From 25% plant available water to the permanent wilting point or right above the permanent wilting point, that's like you got to get up, you got to go in the kitchen. Uh, no, 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 nope. You got to go to the garage, get the case of beer out of the garage, bring it inside, put it in the cooler, dump ice in the cooler. You got to uh, you got to turn on the oven. You got to put the pizza in the oven, let it cook, and now you can get a piece of pizza. Now you get your cold beer after a while. You go sit down. But you had to do a lot of work for it. It's still there, still available, but you had to really work for it. That's kind of the, 
permanent wilting point to 25% plant available water in the soil. It's still there, but you got to work for it because it's, again, tightly adhered to those particles. So now let's consider a young tree, a newly planted tree or a young orchard. And, and we're going to get to, when we start talking about tree water needs, a lot of people go immediately into talking about ET, evapotranspiration. And we will too. In these next few episodes, we will get into evapotranspiration so much that you'll be sick of hearing about it and you won't want to listen to me anymore. But we're going to talk about it. But using evapotranspiration to estimate irrigation needs in a newly planted or young orchard is just... It's really not practical or feasible because a lot of our ET estimations and calculations are based on on a mature orchard where where the canopy of the orchard is covering. Uh, in, in, in olives, I th- think they consider it somewhere around 50% canopy coverage is a mature orchard. And so obviously with a newly planted tree or young orchard, we're, we're way, way, way below that. So ET is not practical. So we look at the soil. You know, we can look at the plant for for visual cues of water stress being too much or too little, uh, but but it's going to be a delayed process. Um, and by the time you start to see visual cues of too much or too little water, by the time you see those cues in the plant, you know, damage has been done. Stress has been induced, uh, and so that's you know, damage is done. We want to avoid that. So we got to look at the soil, and we start talking about soil moisture, and a lot of people automatically and immediately go to soil moisture sensors and again we're going to talk about those um, at least to the extent of my knowledge in the future episodes but I again don't think soil moisture sensors are are perfectly uh, feasible and practical for newly planted trees especially but also even young establishing orchards because when you plant that tree at first you know there's no roots in the soil they're all in the root ball so you put that soil moisture sensor in the soil, even if you try to put it close to the tree, there's no roots around it. So it's not really giving you a true reading of what's going on with that tree and its amount of available water. So I'm not a, not a big fan of using soil moisture sensors at first. Absolutely, that store orchard gets established. I think everybody needs to at least consider some kind of soil monitoring, soil moisture sensors, and we'll talk about them. But until then, I think, and, and, and a lot of other folks think, <laughs> that estimating soil moisture by feel and appearance is the best way to go. It's the best way to go. And, yeah, it, it's not a simple thing. Well, it's a simple process, but it's not an easy thing to learn. And, in fact, I'm still learning and training myself to, to estimate soil moisture. And, and I should correct myself to estimate plant available water content in the soil by feel and appearance. And uh, hopefully you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, NRCS has a wonderful handout sheet with color pictures. I mean, it's mostly pictures. So, you know, even if you don't like to read, it's mostly pictures. And it shows you for different textures of soil, different types of soil, what they look and feel like at different moistures. Um, so obviously you've got to know the texture of your soil, and if you don't, uh, there's ways to find that out. You can go to your NRCS office, ask them to look it up for you. Uh, 
you can go online. I use a an online service, an online web page. There's even an, an app for my phone. And they're both called Soil Web. You can just internet search Soil Web, comes right up. And Soil Web to me is the easiest thing to use. It's like using Google Maps, you can or Google Earth, you just scroll around and, and zoom in and out easily and then it shows you the soil types. You click where your where your orchard is or where you're interested in and it'll show you what soil type is at that spot and it'll tell you the texture. It'll tell you, uh, you know, it'll give you some name like Bliberville or uh, Cheatham or Edna or, you know, it's names. But then it'll tell you this is Bliberville Sandy Loam or this is Cheatham fine loamy sand or this is Frelsberg loamy clay and those are all ones that I'm familiar with and, and you're so you're interested in that in that textural description of the soil that loamy clay or the uh, sandy loam or uh, whatever else I said fine loamy sand that's what you're interested in so you once you know that what the texture is you can go to that NRCS little uh, you can look it up online print it out estimating soil moisture by feel and appearance that's what it's called look at the beautiful pictures find the section that has your soil texture and then learn okay at at zero to 25 percent plant available water my soil feels like this and it'll say it's dry you can't form a ball with it in your hand uh, it breaks apart easily okay uh, and we should know what dry soil feels like at 50 to 75 percent and it goes by 25% increments. I'm just giving examples. At 50 to 75% plant available water, your soil feels like this. It forms a, a, a strong ball, and it describes in there what they mean by a ball. You kind of squeeze it in your hand, in your palm, and ball it up, and then you kind of bounce that ball in your hand. Like You kind of toss it six inches in the air and then catch it. And if that ball breaks apart really easily on one bounce, they call it very weak. If it breaks apart in two or three bounces, they call it weak. So you got to kind of read and understand these things. And it's kind of simplistic, but that's the beauty of it. And over time, and this is what I'm doing, and it's true, you can train yourself to very accurately estimate plant available water simply by feel and appearance. And they, they even say in there they have trained people that can get it to within 5%. They're five, within 5% plus or minus accurate estimating plant available water just by feel and appearance. So I think that's what you want to do. And I think you want to keep it above 50% plant available water for a newly planted tree. And kind of that general rule for, for olives is a gallon of water per tree per day for a newly planted tree. And, of course, this depends on, again, soil texture, the climate in your location, the size of the tree that you bought, uh, those things. But in general, a gallon per tree per day is a great place to start. And then you evaluate that by going out to the field, getting your hands in it, and estimating soil moisture. And so I think for a newly planted tree, even for an establishing tree, you really don't want to get below about 50% plant-available water because it, the plant starts to have to work for that. And especially for a newly planted tree. The newly planted tree is, is the laziest. A newly planted tree, you know, in the process of transplanting and all that stuff, we may damage the roots. Um, and, and so 
realize that 97% of the water that a plant absorbs comes through the root tips, and, and specifically the root hairs, the hairs on the root tips. If you picture a root, don't the whole length of the root really doesn't do much except transport water. It's maybe that last, picture the last quarter, maybe quarter to half inch. That much of the root tip, that's what absorbs all the water. So if we go and we're planting a tree and we're kind of rough with it and we break off all the root tips, well, we've seriously compromised the ability of that tree to pick up water or that plant, whatever plant it is. This applies to all plants. So that newly planted tree is like a guy on the couch and he's got broken legs and his you know arms are in a cast and his back hurts and so he really needs or she or whoever really needs that free water brought to them easily and all the time because they can't just can't get up and, and go get it so and the research beautifully backs that up it is not the volume of irrigation it's not the amount of water that you give a new tree that determines how well it establishes it is the frequency at which you apply water that determines how well a tree establishes. So that's just, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that necessarily. It's just food for thought. So where, where do you want to go in the orchard to evaluate soil moisture or evaluate, excuse me, plant available water in the soil by feel and appearance? Well, in the tree root zone, right? I mean, that's the, where else would you, I mean, <laughs> doesn't make any sense to care about the soil water status outside of the orchard or between the rows where there's no roots growing in a new orchard. So my last thing is know where the roots are. And I had to do this uh, for my own education because I'm not an olive expert, y'all. Uh, I had to go to orchards and be like, okay, this thing was planted in whatever, May, whatever. Where are the roots now? I mean, obviously, when we plant them, we know where they are. They're right there in the root ball. But a month later, two months later, six months later, where are the roots? Well, don't guess. Go out and have some fun. Dig up some trees. Sacrifice a tree or two or ten to, to build your knowledge. That, that is invaluable, priceless knowledge and experience that you gain. Dig up that tree. If you do it well enough, they'll survive. Just stick them back in the ground. They'll survive. But that is priceless, invaluable knowledge. Dig up a tree and do it slowly, right? Dig off layer by layer of the soil so that you see where the roots are, how deep they are, how far out they go, and be, be gentle while you're doing it. Because again, like I said, the most important roots, most important part of the root system are those root tips. That's where all the water absorption happens. Well, those root tips obviously are the finest, the smallest in diameter. And so they're going to be the weakest. And so even even kind of digging and scratching with your with your you can hear me. I'm 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 <laughs> I'm demonstrating it like you could see me. But even scratching the soil with your with your hand, with your fingers, your fingernails, that can break that can break those fine feeder roots. So go go carefully at first. Look for look for that dig close to the tree. Find a big root and then carefully and slowly dig out away following that root. It's going to go deeper and deeper as it goes away. Follow that root out. Be very careful. Look for those, those tender, freshly white, uh, absorb, absorbing root tips. 
and kind of find the extent of the root system. Do it that way at first. Then once you've kind of done that for a while and kind of explored the extent of the root system, then dig up the whole darn tree. I'm serious. Dig up the whole tree and try to dig up as much as you can, right? Try to dig outside of the root zone and dig down underneath it so that you can pull the whole thing out, the whole tree and the whole root ball out, and then slowly and gently try to kind of break off or even wash off the soil that's stuck on the roots. And what you're left with is a a fairly decent picture, literal representation of the effective root zone of your tree, where you should be delivering the water and where you should be evaluating soil moisture. That just that just tells you so much when you when you you know you're looking at this tree and you're out there every day you're out there every week and you just see the top of it and yeah the top grows but the top is not always symmetrical with the bottom. Typically, shoot growth follows root growth, and so the bottom can be bigger than the top. The roots can be bigger than the canopy, at least in most ideal situations. So. I guess that's it. Get out there and and explore the root system of your tree. Learn about the root system of your tree. The olive tree is not going to have a lot of real deep, straight down growing roots. Uh, and we'll talk about why maybe sometime in the future, but they tend to be kind of shallow. And so that can help you to estimate how much water is needed um, and how to run your irrigation system. Because the top of the soil can get dry, right? Because there's not a lot of roots there. There's tons of oxygen, but it dries out too quickly, so roots don't tend to grow up to the surface. If you have roots at the surface, what does that tell you? Well, you're overwatering. You've saturated it too much. Those roots are looking for oxygen. They go up towards the, the oxygen gradient. So in a normal situation, you can allow the surface to dry out a little bit. So that's where you're getting into this digging down, kind of finding where those roots are, how deep they are. And at that point, and a little bit below that, that's where you're estimating soil plant available water. Well, let's see. I'm at about 30 minutes here, so I I think I'm going to try to kind of summarize and wrap this up and and get on with it. So the newly planted tree, and of course, this is the end of August 2022, uh, Probably nobody nobody has, hopefully nobody has newly planted trees in the ground. Hopefully you got everything planted, uh, let's say, before the middle of June. Earlier is better. Hopefully nobody's planting now. But, but for prospective growers that may be listening, or if you're maybe planning on planting some trees next year or in the future, this is for you. So for a newly planted tree, brand new planted tree, you're really not concerned about, okay, is it, 75% of plant available, or is it at 50%, or is it at 25%? Basically, for a newly planted tree, you want to apply water as frequently as possible without maintaining saturated conditions. So you're letting the top dry out just a, just a hair, um, and you're definitely letting the soil in the root zone, in that root ball, drain to field capacity and then a little bit more. Uh, like I said, maybe down to 50%, but I'm really not concerned with, well, is it 60 or 50 or 40? Uh, you want to keep it almost at field capacity. Like I said, you want that tree to have nice, easy access, free water so that it gets off to a quick establishment. 
you don't want it to be saturated, like I said, or at field capacity. When you get near field capacity on most soils, when you go out and dig and you have it in your hand and you squeeze it, you'll often see, right after you squeeze it and kind of let go of it, you'll see water glistening on that on that ball of soil. When you see water glistening after you squeeze it or when you squeeze it, then you know that you're at field capacity or very near to it. And so you can let it go for, uh, again, it's going to depend on soil and climate and all that. Some people, you may let it go only for 12 hours and it may need water again if it's super sandy. Some people with a loamy soil, you might have to let it go two days, even for a newly planted tree, for that thing to get down to, you know, 75, 60% plant available water. Once that tree is established, and right here is a good place to define what an established tree is. It, de it depends, but the, the definition that I like and the way that I'm using the term today is that an established tree is one that's planted in the ground and, and grows its root system out to at least as big and as extensive as it was before planting. And the root system grows out to be bigger than the canopy. So, hope that makes sense. So once a tree is established, we're not in bearing years yet, right? For the olive tree, we're, we're thinking for those first uh, two, three years that we're just growing a vegetative tree and we're not ex really expecting... Oops. We're not really expecting a fruit set or not significant, at least, not a harvestable crop. Then we, what we want to do with that tree, once it's established and while it's young, is just give it easy water. We don't really want to make it work because we want it to grow fast. We want it to grow healthy and not really be totally stressed. When we get to a mature tree that starts bearing fruit, we'll talk about it later, later but we're going to start applying some stress to it to, to manipulate fruit and oil content and all that stuff but when a tree is just growing and not setting fruit you want to keep it probably no no less than 50 percent available plant available water you can maybe let it get down a little bit below that uh 25 percent at the at the least but really around that 50 percent plant available waters when you want to go ahead apply another irrigation set bring it back up to field capacity and then you know give it give it time and monitor it over the next days and days until it gets down to about that below that 50% plant available. So that's the idea uh, with new trees and with established but young trees. Avoid all water stress, let the tree grow, give it that easy access water. Now the only caveat is, you know, by let's say by the 1st of October, even for a newly planted tree, it should be established by October shoot a newly planted tree depending on the size should be established by you know the end of june hopefully but back back to my point even if they're first year trees they should be established by october 1 at that that is the point where we do want to start slowing down on the irrigation backing it off little by little until somewhere around the middle of november we can fully turn the water off on those young trees. Uh, the, the olive tree is extremely drought tolerant. Maybe if you start to see signs of, of, of water stress over the winter, if you start to see leaves kind of curling inwards on themselves, that may be a sign, okay, we need to turn some water on because it got really dry this winter. But basically from at least the 1st of November through the, the, the end of your freeze time, wherever you are, 
for that period, we want to leave the water mostly off for a young, established, non-bearing olive tree. We want to leave it off because that's going to help us withstand freezes. I think that's going to be it. I'm going to leave it there for today. I could talk and talk. Uh, there's more that I want to say, but I don't know. If there's one thing I've learned from from Monty Nesbitt, my, my colleague and sort of supervisor, he said, said something about, you know, you can't, you just can't tell people everything. And, you know, that really resonated with me because I've spent almost my entire career trying to tell people everything. And sometimes people appreciate it, but often it can be overwhelming and you just end up droning on and on just like I'm doing right now. So, so we're going to leave it there for today. We'll pick back up next time. We'll talk about irrigation. All right. That's it for me today. Hope you learned something. Hope you're applying some of what you've learned to those olive trees out there and, and maybe even seeing some benefit I, I after the last episode, after that first irrigation episode, I actually got went out to an orchard and started applying some of these practices myself. Uh, come to find out, for for newly planted or, or young establishing trees, you know the grower would tell me I would ask, you know, you know what's the irrigation like? How long you're running it? And what size are the emitters? And well, we didn't really know the size. And uh, well, I think we're running it this many days for this amount of time. Turns out. We were, that grower was putting on like 17 gallons of water per tree every week. And a gallon per tree per day would be seven gallons a week. They were doing like 16, 17 gallons per week. Golly, is way too much because this was a loamy soil. It was a fairly heavy textured soil that holds a lot of water. It was way too much for those trees. And, and I should have known because was, a lot of those trees were kind of struggling with it. They were, they were lacking some color. They just weren't thrifty. They were a little bit stunted. So I think I think I even taught myself something <laughs> through this podcast, and we've we've backed that off. We let it dry out. We measured how much the emitters put out. We know exactly what the irrigation system puts out per hour now. We've adjusted the timing. We know how long that soil takes to drain and how long it holds water for. So you know, I hope that you've made some of these observations and some of these improvements right along as I have. So all right. That's it. Y'all uh, enjoy the rain. Let it rain some more. Uh, don't let it rain too much. But, you know, this is Texas. We're, we're bound to go from extreme drought to extreme flood. But regardless of what happens, y'all stay safe out there, okay? Take care of each other out there. And you take care of those olive trees. We'll talk to you soon when it's time again for Growing Texas Olives. Olives.